it is an odd, uh, intriguing passage of scripture. We're in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Let's read the first five verses here. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold the beam, a beam, uh, is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. All right, this is a... This is going to be fun message, I think. One of the major themes that runs through the entire Sermon on the Mount uh, is that of, of, of relationships, righteous relationships, uh, specifically the relationship that the child of God, somebody that's trusted Jesus as their Savior, uh, has with various people that he interfaces with. Now, the connecting thread, even through chapter 7, is that of relationships. And 1 through 5 here is also dealing with the way that we relate to one another. Now, the, the Christian uh, counter-cultural way of living, which, which is the way we're supposed to live, we're supposed to be essentially swimming upstream, uh, this counter-cultural way of living is not an individualistic endeavor. Uh, it, is, it is a community affair, and, and the relationships both, both within the church and, and between the church and those others outside the church are of supreme importance. See, Jesus does not think for a second that a church, a Christian community, is going to be perfect. Right? He assumes several things, that there will be transgressions, these transgressions will cause tensions and they'll cause problems in the relationships. He, he knows that. But in particular, how should a Christian behave towards a fellow Christian who has misbehaved? Uh, does Jesus have any instruction about, about discipline within the church? Well, well yes, he does. He, he forbids two things, and then he mentions a better, third, more, can I use air quotes, Christian way of doing things. And that's going to be our outline. Two things or two ways Christians are not to behave, and then the one way that a Christian is to behave. Now, verse 1 here in chapter 7 is one of the most well-known in all the Bible. It seems quite popular with the saved as well as the lost. I mean, really anyone who just wants to be left alone to sin in peace, right? Judge not. No, you can't do that, right? Yeah. But declaring what God has all, all, all already said to be sin, that's not judging. Warning somebody involved in destructive behavior because you love them or because you at least don't want to have to clean up the mess after they hurt themselves is not judging. Trying to encourage a brother or sister to stop their sin and restore their relationship with their Heavenly Father is not only not judging, but it's commanded that we help one another do this. So what is this judging? Well, to answer that, I think we need to ask another question first. 
And the question is this, in, in all the New Testament, especially the four Gospels, what is the chief sin? Or what sin is dealt with the most? Or what, uh, what sin did Jesus go after, so to speak, with the most energy? Was it adultery? Was it divorce? Was it lying? Maybe it was thievery? Was it homosexuality? Was it gender identity issues? Was it lust? Pornography, maybe? Maybe it was missing church? Kicking your dog? Not homeschooling your kids? No. I think you'll find that especially among those who should have known better, the sin was self-righteousness. Presuming that you are right with God because you don't commit the sins you don't like. Acting as if you're better, more spiritual, closer to God because you keep your set of rules better than anybody else keeps your set of rules. You set your own standard of rightness with God that you meet with ease and very little sacrifice while condemning those who do not meet your standard of rightness with God. That is self-righteousness. And that, I believe, is the sin most often preached against by Jesus. Now, with that idea, let's, let's move on to this, this judge not. In this sermon, Jesus is, is, is guiding us towards how to conduct ourselves in reference to the sin of other believers. His expression seemed to intend, um, as they, they, they seem as, he wants to reprove the scribes and Pharisees. All right? he's, he's, he's kind of pointing this at them. They, remember, we're very rigid. They were very severe. They were very dictatorial. They were very contemptuous in condemning all those around them for their sin. They were proud and conceited in justifying themselves. See, every, every believer has an obligation, though, to, to test the fruit of other believers. Um, when we get to 15 through 20, we'll see that. But no Christian should ever judge motives you absolutely positively cannot see into somebody's heart and mind and when we say and I'm guilty of this too well I can make a pretty good guess why they did that when we do that we're showing our arrogance now verses 1 and 2 show us first of all that a Christian is not to behave as a judge. It says, judge not that you be not judged. But this has to have some context because we get down to verse 6 and it says, don't give something holy to the dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. So we have to make judgments as to what is holy and what are dogs and what are pearls and what are pigs, right? And we'll get to that next week. Um, but look at what it says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. 
This refers to the responsibility of, 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 of individual, individual believers to one another. So it's us to us, okay? It, 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 it cannot be understood as a command to suspend our critical thinking, our analytical thinking in relation to other people. It does not refer to turning a blind eye to their sin, pretending not to notice their sin, to avoid all criticism and to refuse to discern between truth and error, good and evil. It does not deal with that. The context makes it clear that the thing he is condemning here is, is, is that disposition to look unfavorably on the character and the actions of others, which, which leads to pronouncing this, this, this rash and unjust and unloving judgment on them. It's a violation of the, of the law of love uh, involved in, in exercising this overly critical attitude. So what does he mean by judge not? Well, it's a word, and it's not a common word, but the commentaries use it throughout. The word is censoriousness, severely critical of others, sharp, unjust criticism, unfair nitpicking criticism. Yes, the commentaries actually said nitpicking. All right? You, as a follower of Jesus, should still be critical, should still be analytical in your thinking. You should use your powers of discernment, but being a critical thinker is not the same as being a criticizing thinker. You are to be analytical or critical in your thinking, but you are not to judge in the sense of being severely critical and condemning. The censorious critic is, is a fault finder. And they are, they are negative and, and, and they are destructive towards other people. And they enjoy actively seeking out the failings of other people. They put the worst possible twist on their motives. They pour cold water on other people's schemes. And they are ungenerous. They are, they are unmerciful. They are graceless towards other people's mistakes. Some people have been run off from this church because this is the way they were treated by some of us. Like the Pharisee treated the publican. My sin's not like them. I don't want them in my church. And there are people that are not here because they have heard from some of us how bad their sin was. To be censorious is to set yourself up as a critic, as a censor, to claim to be competent and to have authority to sit in judgment of your fellow Christians. But if I, if I do this, then I am, I, I am casting both me and, 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 and you in the, in the wrong role. I mean, since when have I been... Uh, since, since when have you been my servants? Since when have you been responsible to me? And since when have I been your Lord and your judge? 
See, Paul wrote to the Romans applying this in Romans 14.4. He said, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. See, the simple vital point is that neither you nor I am God. Now, that comes to a shock to some people. It's like when they find the center of the universe, there's going to be a lot of disappointed people finding out that they're not there, right? right? We're not God. No human being is qualified to judge his brother because we cannot read each other's hearts or minds. We cannot assess each other's motives. To be censorious, to judge, is to, as one commentary says, presume arrogantly to anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge, in fact, to try to play God. So we must not judge unlovingly or unmercifully or with a spirit of revenge or a desire to do somebody harm. We must not judge a person's condition by a single act or, 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 or what he is on the inside because of what we see on the outside. Because really, when we do that to ourselves, we're kind of partial, right? Um, it's, it's God's prerogative to try the heart. And we must not step into his shoes. We must not judge their eternal state. We don't have the authority to call them hypocrites or reprobates or castaways. And why is that? Because that is crossing the line. What have we to do thus to judge another man's servant? One commentator says, counsel him and help him, but do not judge him. To the first principle of judgment is that we begin with ourselves. Jesus did not forbid us to judge, to discern, to analyze others, but to be careful in our discrimination. Because really, discrimination is an essential part of the, of the Christian life. Christian love is not blind. Okay? Our faith is not blind. Our love is not blind. The person who believes that all hearts are, are, are good, they believe everything that they hear, they accept everybody who claims to be spiritual, they're going to experience confusion and great spiritual loss. So, I mean, yes, we're to use our brains, of course, but before we judge others, we must judge ourselves. And if we're humble and we're loving and we're kind in our criticisms or our analysis of others, and if we refuse to judge them and we judge us, ourselves, instead, then it says we shall not be judged of the Lord. One commentary says, As God will forgive those that forgive their brethren, he will not judge those who will not judge their brethren. The merciful shall obtain mercy. So verse 1 kind of sums up this way. The, the, the command to judge is not a requirement to, the, to, to be blind, but rather it's a plea. It's a plea to us to be, to be generous. It's a, it's a plea to us uh, to, to, to be kind, understanding, patient, merciful. Jesus does not tell us to stop thinking. Right? But he does tell us to renounce a presumptuous ambition to be or act like God 
by setting ourselves up as the judges of our brethren. See, verse 2 says that we'll be judged by the same standard that we impose on other people. So whatever standard of self-righteousness uh, we, we are throwing in the face of other people, God will hold us to that very standard. And no mercy will be shown to your reputation if you show no mercy to the reputation of somebody else. You set the standard for your own judgment. And what is going to happen to us if God is as exact, if he is as, 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 as severe in, in judging us as we are in judging each other? What if he weighs us in our scales? Not only will God judge us at the end, but people are going to be judging us right now. We'll receive from people exactly what we give. The kind of judgment, the measure of judgment comes right back to us. We reap what we sow. So we are not to behave as judges. Verses 3 and 4, number 2, show us that we are not to behave as hypocrites. This is... This is funny to picture in your head, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've heard of preachers that rig up something and they preach this with, with, with a board on their face, you know, because that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a moat's a splinter. Um, any, any small fault or sin and a beam is that greater fault, which we tend to overlook in ourselves. Uh, don't try to remove another's little sin until you've removed your own glaring sin. And it's common for people who, who are, it seems like, who are the most sinful themselves and oblivious to it, uh, seem to be the most forward in judging others and trying to help them get their sins taken care of. Being so severe about the faults of others while they indulge their own, that's a mark of hypocrisy. See, earlier on in this sermon, Jesus exposed our hypocrisies in relation to, to God, practicing our righteousness before men so we can be seen of them. But now he exposes our hypocrisy in relation to each other, meddling in other people's offenses while failing to deal with our own more serious ones. And that's the key. It's another reason why we are unfit to be judges. We are fallible. Okay? We're not God, and we are fallen. We are sinful. The fall has made us all sinners, and we are disqualified from sitting at the judge's bench. See, the picture of somebody struggling with a delicate operation of removing a speck of dirt from their friend's eye while a huge board in their own eye completely muddles their vision, I mean, it's ludicrous to think about. But yet, when the exaggeration is transferred to us and, and our ridiculous fault-finding and nitpicking of others is exposed, we don't always appreciate the humor in this story, do we? We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the sins of others and minimize the magnitude of our own sins. We seem to find it impossible when comparing ourselves with others to be strictly objective and impartial. We have a rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of other people. What we are often seeing is our own sins in others. We're actually judging them vicariously. And you've heard, right, that the 
thing which irritates you most in somebody else is the very thing that you're guilty of? See, verse 4 shows us that there, that there must be self-examination, okay, cruel, hard, brutal, exacting self-examination before you can ever hope to help somebody else. And you are supposed to help one another. We are to encourage one another with this. There are so many that have beams in their own eyes, and yet they do not consider it. They don't realize it. They don't think about it. They're under the, the, the guilt and domination of some very great sins, and yet they're unaware of it, but they justify themselves and convince themselves that they don't need any repentance. They don't need any improvements in their life. It is as strange that somebody can be in that sinful condition and not be aware of it as somebody can walk around with a board in their face and not be aware of it. They say, well, that's ridiculous. How can that happen? Remember that talk we had about self-righteousness a little while ago? See, when we're guilty of this, we get to experience the pleasure of self-righteousness without the pain of repentance. And this kind of hypocrisy is, is much more disagreeable because it passes itself off as a kind of kindness. Oh, let me help you get that little speck out of your eye. It's made as a means of, of inflating our own ego. A.B. Bruce said, censoriousness is a pharisaic vice, that of exalting ourselves by disparaging others a very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. There are, and I want you to understand what I mean by this, there are degrees in sin. Um, some sins comparatively are splinters and others are boards. Right? But do not fall into the trap of thinking that there are any little sins. There's no little God to sin against, so every sin is big. The degree is only by comparison of the sins. Because remember, all sin requires death as a payment. It is possible for a person to do a good work with a bad motive. All right? It's also possible to fail horribly and be very sincere and very rightly motivated. See, our own sins ought to appear greater to us than the same sins in somebody else. The thing that love teaches us to call a splinter in our brother or sister's eye, true repentance and godly sorrow will teach us to call a board in our own eye. See, the sins of others must be minimized, but our own sin must be maximized. But we don't like doing that because we like to be self-righteous. We should judge ourselves much harder than we do anybody else. We would only, only, that's the only chance of escaping the judgment that's talked about in verse 1 and 2. 
We have to be in a position to, to humbly and gently help our erring brother or sister, but that only happens when we consider the beam in our own eye. And having first removed the board from our eye, which we are responsible to do, then we can see clearly to take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye, which we are also responsible to do, but not until we deal with our own sin first. See, the purpose of this self-judgment is to prepare you to serve one another because you are obligated to serve one another. Christians are obligated to help one another grow in grace. And when we do not judge ourselves first and harsh, we not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt those that we could be ministering to. We lose the opportunity for the Lord to use us to help heal somebody else in pain. The Pharisees judged and criticized others to make themselves look good. But listen to this. We Christians should judge ourselves so that we can help others look good. There's not a lot of fun in that, though, is there? But there's the difference. That, that is the difference. If we do not honestly face up to our own sin and confess them, then we blind ourselves to ourselves. And then we cannot see clearly enough to help somebody else. The Pharisees saw the sins in other people, and, 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 and they would not look at their own sins. We, we, we behave as hypocrites when we do not look at our own sins first. So Christians are not to behave as judges, and we're not to behave as hypocrites, but we are to behave as brothers. We are to behave as lovers of one another in Christ. That is verse 5. Look what it says. Thou hypocrite, first take out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. There is an obligation to help your brother. See, some people think that Jesus is, is, is forbidding us from helping each other and telling us instead just to mind our own business. Well, their sins, their sin, my sins, my sin, I'll let them sin, they let me sin, but that's not right. Just because we are not to judge or not be hypocrites does not relieve us of the responsibility to love one another. Jesus later teaches us that if a brother sins against us, our first duty, though it's often neglected, our first duty is to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. We're not off the hook in caring for and helping and loving one another. It seems that the, on, the only circumstance under which we are forbidden to interfere in the sins of another brother or sister is when there is an even bigger sin in our own life that we refuse to remove. But in the other circumstances, Jesus actually commands us. He commands us to reprove and correct and rebuke our brothers and sisters. Once we have dealt with our own eye trouble, then we can see clearly to deal with his, but not until. To leave his sin there, to make no attempt to remove it, that would hardly be consistent with being loving. When you see somebody in pain and hurting themselves, just to leave them alone, there is no love in that. Our Christian duty, then, is to first take the board out of our own eye so that then with that resulting clarity of vision, 
uh, will be able to take the speck out of our brother's eye. And again, it is evident that Jesus is not condemning examining fruit. He's not condemning analysis. He's not condemning critical thinking as such, but he is condemning the criticism of others when we exercise no comparable self-criticism first. No correction, but rather the correction of others when we have not corrected ourselves. Now, Jesus has some, uh, some standards for our relationships with one another. And those standards for our relationships are very high. And, and they're healthy. In all our attitudes and behaviors towards others, we are not to play either the judge, becoming harsh or censorious or condemning, nor the hypocrite, blaming others while excusing ourselves. Well, I can, I can sin like this because they don't know what I'm going through. Yeah. But the brother or sister caring for others so much that we first blame and correct ourselves. We first look at our own sin, and then we seek to be constructive and loving and helpful. Christostom was one of the early church fathers. He says uh, about someone who, another brother or sister in Christ who had sinned, he says, correct him, but not as a foe, nor as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicine, yes, and even more, as a loving brother anxious to rescue and restore. See, we need to be as critical of ourselves, at least, as we are of others, and as generous to others as we are to ourselves. Matthew Henry said, he only is fit to be a reprover of others who jealously and severely judges himself. Such persons will not only be slow to undertake the office of censor on their neighbors, but when constrained in faithfulness to deal with them, will make it evident that they do it with reluctance and not satisfaction, with moderation and not exaggeration, with love and not harshness. See, after we've judged ourselves honestly before God and, and have removed those things that blind us, then we can help others properly. We can, we can properly then help that brother get that speck out of his eye. But if we know that there are sins in our life and we try to help others, we are hypocrites. If we leave that board there, we are hypocrites. In fact, it is possible for ministry to be, to be a device for covering up these sins. The Pharisees were guilty of this, and Jesus condemned them because they would not self-examine before they would preach. Whatever we might pretend, all right, it is certain that we are not an enemy of sin unless we're an enemy of our own sin. If we just don't commit the sins we don't like but commit the sins we do, then we're not an enemy of sin. And we're hypocrites when we say we are. See, our offenses can never be our defenses. Let's see if we can wrap this up. Jesus gives us the right and the responsibility to help others, help other believers, to, to help each other after we have straightened out our own lives. 
He did not say that it was wrong for you to help your brother or sisters get rid of their sins, but he did say that you first must take care of your own. All right, look, love, Christ's love, his love for us, his love in us to each other requires that we serve each other. Sometimes that service must take the form of rebuke or reproof or correction. And Jesus wants you in a position then to serve well. We do not get to keep our pet sins. We do not get to keep the boards in our eyes so that we don't have to help our brothers and sisters. The sin must go. You must confess. You must repent. And then you must help your brothers and sisters. See, serving one another, it's expected. Serving one another, it's, it's, it's commanded. We can't not. But we must serve humbly, gently, lovingly, mercifully, gracefully, with a clear vision that comes from self-examination. That is your obligation, both to Christ and to each other. You are not to behave as a judge. You are not to behave as a hypocrite. But you are to behave as a brother seeking to love a brother. Stand with your heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would examine us and Father, we pray that, that you would convict us of the boards in our eyes. Father, we, we like our righteousness. We are comfortable in our self-righteousness. We feel good when we com don't, don't commit the sins we don't like. And Father, it's so easy for us to pass judgment to, to, to condemn those that don't sin like we do. Oh, Father, please have your spirit convict us of that, that hypocrisy, of that lack of love. Father, convict us of that thing that would cause us to, to keep sinners in need of Christ at arm's length. Father, we need you to fillet us, lay us open, leave nothing unexposed. Father, please do this work in us that we not be charged as judges and we not be charged as hypocrites, but that we have the freedom to love one another and help one another as you intend us to do. So, Father, please do that work in us that we're afraid to do ourselves. Give us the courage. Give us the courage to self-examine. Help us to pull the beam out of our own eye. Lord, we want to be more than just Pharisees. We want, to, we want to get it right on the inside, not just on the outside. 
But Lord, it's painful. Give us the courage to face the pain. Give us the wherewithal to repent of the sin that you reveal to us. Help us, Father, to walk closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead, please?